Hello dear heart, welcome to the Flourishing Practitioners Podcast, where we talk all things about space holding, caring for our clients and succeeding in our businesses. We explore the wisdom from coaches, counsellors and healers. My name's Gabrielle Walker and I'm so honoured that you're here. Let's dive in. Kia ora koutou. Today's podcast is one I recorded in... July 2020 with the beautiful Howatia Bryson and re-listening to this I just felt so touched and so inspired by her way of viewing the world, her connection to the kaitiaki, the guardians, the land, body and the process of transition. She's a beautiful human and I am so grateful for all she offers the world and her wairawa, her energy. I totally mihi and acknowledge all that she is and all that she carries and all she holds and I hope you enjoy our chat. Mana hua he tapu o matu a te kore, mana hua he tapu o matu a te po, mana hua he tapu o matu a te ao, mana hua te tapu o matu a te hawa, mana hua te tapu o matu a te aroha e. Mana hua te tapu o matu a te ike, mana hua te tapu o matu a te mana, mana hua te tapu o matu a te toa, mana hua te tapu o matu a te tapu, mana hua he tapu o matu a te pononga. Mana hua he tapu o matu a te hine, mana hua he tapu o matu a te manua, mana hua he tapu o matu a te aroha, mana hua he tapu o matu a te wairua e. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that waiata to the manua. It just totally hit there and opens up the space. So grateful. <laughs> um, so welcome, Hawatea. So beautiful to have you and I'm so grateful for you for connecting with our community. And I am, um, mm, yeah, honour everything that you are and everything you've fostered in terms of your own mahi and what you bring to the world. So you're a therapist and a rites of passage facilitator and a Māori healing, healing practitioner. So many different um, pathways for us to travel down today. Um, so I usually open um, by asking you to share how you would describe yourself. Uh, I mostly work with people when they're going through transformation or big change and um, that groundless space or the space where something's being called forth and I think right now we're in a big time of the unknown so we're in this collectively but um, those initiations are something that we get faced with or confronted with throughout our life and um, places where our ground gets really shaky and so for me it's it's really a path of listening and um, and supporting people to, to be able to come back into that knowing that they hold and to be more comfortable in the unknown um, and also for what is coming through from that place, you know. Um, and we're, we're in a world where I think we're all bridge people and um, our tūpuna always were as well. We're always holding two worlds and how do we 
get really clear in what's being asked of us and to have that internal ground, especially more and more as there's so much external stimulation and and where do you fuck papa to what's your history in that way ah ko kaitahu ko waitaha ka iwi ko katihawia te hapu um no otipoti te fano o toku mama no poihakina um sydney te fano o toku papa um enoho ana uh hawaii naene yeah, and it's so cool to weave that energy of Hawaii <laughs> into into everything. I feel so cool there. <laughs> so I'm like always like, oh, <laughs> excited about that pool. Um, how how would you describe your path onto doing this mahi, this work, whether it would be the transformational work or the therapy work or the Maori healing work? I think for me I had... I had a lot of identity shifts when I was younger and starting off as an athlete and then uh, breaking my back and having a lot of injury and um, fighting the medical system from about the age of 15 to 26, where they told me that I had to have a surgery and, you know, feeling like in my whole bones that it was incorrect, like to remove my thyroid or to operate on something and, um, and fighting them and being treated, you know, uh, like I was very juvenile and so just continuing to look um, beyond what I was, what I was feeling and, and then finding my, my way through that healing. And, and for me, um, Te Ao Māori has been something that's been in my life since I was a child, even though I wasn't surrounded by it physically and, um, and so seeking those komatua and those kuia out and, uh, and sort of the keys that kept coming in, in, as reminders and so um yeah mm-hmm. just a reminder to not always take things at, at face value and to and to um look a little deeper and and then i and then i when i um when i changed my position from the whole athlete scene it was really that when who we think we are and all all that accomplishment falls away just really wanting to work with people um in who they are beyond beyond all of that and then for me that really led into into taking people into the into nature and um for multiple days at a time and going into the silence and mm-hmm. uh, finding our connections and our our relationships you mentioned um, the energies of the atua in nature and how that interrelates with our own human journey and do you have anything to say with that about that uh i think often about um you know, we have our tuakanaha and tuakanawai at our sides, um, both the water and the breath and the winds. And there's so much to watch and to witness in nature that shows us how to kind of come clear again or how to put a back to ourselves. And what I love about taking people outside is that when, you know, we're so, we're so in our heads right now, we overthink and, um, but as soon as we watch nature and what it's doing, mm. it sort of normalises everything. Mm. You know, all the stages we go through, everything that happens, but it doesn't have the drama. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it allows us, it's the same sort of process for us inside, I really feel, in like how can we actually just witness um, what's happening 
mm. rather than uh, to fight it or to judge it or mm. to, um, you know, push it away and actually make it stronger. And, and, and you know, to tie our nature shows us that when that nothing will stay the same for very long and it will, it, it just can't. And it's the same with our emotions. And so it's only when we push them away or reject them um, or block them that they, they get this force. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, there is that, um, there's a lot of metaphors and mm. uh, to be shown to us. And so I find that whenever anyone steps outside, you know, we have these like gorgeous eyes, all of us, <laughs> And what everyone sees is completely different, whether they're looking at like a square foot of soil or they're up on the mowing looking at this view and everyone sees what they need to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I true. love that. Yeah. yeah. It's a to, to, to be a witness to it and le- constantly learning and what comes through people. And How um, did you find your way into Māori healing specifically? So it was interesting because I, I focused as a therap- as a psychotherapist on trauma mm-hmm. and what I was finding is that there is so much in the body and the body as, and as, as a field that we walk with, there's so much information, you know. We walk not just, we walk also with our emotions or they drag us along and um, in how we stand, how we approach everything, even the weight that we carry, and I don't mean physical, just watching what was happening with with trauma work and dissociation, and um, so I was really called to motor healing for how powerful it was. It is mm. to, uh, to release, and what I love about it is that again we so want to wrestle and understand things with our mind, and and we can get stuck in those the torrent of those emotions. And so often someone's done a lot of emotional work on something, and then through romi romi it can lift off in a way that then they can actually, it's like it's um, it's separated from them. It's externalised a little bit and so it's not as close uh, mm-hmm. to home and then they're able to um, complete that process with it. And then and likewise, if someone hasn't done any emotional work, it sets it up for them to, to then be able to engage in a different mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I love that, that grounding Um and how do you weave it with the therapy? Because I've talked to a few, um, a few of us do coaching and rominomi or Māori healing, but I haven't yet you know, talked to anyone who does it with therapy as well. So I'm interested in hearing about that. I guess that's part of like the midi-midi at the beginning of sitting with someone. And I really, you know, everyone needs to own their healing. Healing's a choice. And um, we open the body up for what it wants to heal. And I really believe that when someone books into a quest or they book a session, there's, it's already begun. Mm-hmm. And so even what, what comes up for them in the lead up and in their dreams or just even in the synchronicities of their life, the conversations, how they, you know. And so for them to be able to just take a sort of 360-degree view on their world and voice what's going on and look at the pieces and it's almost like being able to I think of it as um, putting a, like seeding the table for what it is that they're they're ready to do or ready to let go of or it could be a question that they've been holding and it could be a question they've been holding for some time or something that's just emerged since you know since they decided to come in but it's really their own whole process and so I find there's a lot of power in verbalizing it so that's probably the therapist counselor part of me that um really wants the other person to own 
own that piece. And, um, and I find that's the understanding that then they can drop once they're on the table. And, but they've, they've made a claim or a commitment to something and, and it allows like a deeper support um, to come through. And it is also, you know, a conversation with their tupuna um, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's something in that openness and that vulnerability. And so then, in, and then in the body work, I, I find that it does actually allow uh, a deeper surrender. And it also um, brings up for me that there is a tremendous amount of trust that people place in healers. And there's a lot of, um, you know, it's a real healing supermarket these days. <laughs> and, and so uh, to also just be able to connect in that way and allow themselves to, to know that it is them and their tupu not doing the work, but also to feel connected to me being in the room as a support and just allow that, allow that peace to, to take place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. It's, it's like a sense of the mahi working the best when they're fully in the, embodied in the decision to shift that. It's yeah. like, whereas I, I used to call people who were just um, shopping tourists, I'm like, oh, they're just coming through, you know, to see what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, there's people that come and say, well, I'll see, I'll, you know, it's almost like they'll, they believe that the healer is, is the one doing the work and so they want to see what will happen and I'll decide how good you are and it has nothing mm-hmm. to do me and even the things that they're curious about it's like oh yeah I actually I actually want an answer to this and I really mm-hmm. feel with our questions you know we have we have so many questions in our heart that we're looking outside of ourselves for validation or for answers but if we actually ask the question pointedly like with intention then we're already halfway to the answer mm-hmm. you know, even to be able to voice like what that is and then the listening opens up on the table and then how would you describe um, Māori healing or Rominomi to people who haven't connected with it before? It's interesting because I'm here in Hawaii and, um, you know, here there's Lomi Lomi and, uh, and I think we get in the habit of looking at our Tuakanatena mm-hmm. relationships and, and how they're similar and different and I've, I've learned to just stop doing that because it would be ignorant of me to, to do that without having... Um, more understanding of the healing here. And so I just speak for uh, my experience of, of Māori healing. For me, a lot to do with how we hold stories in our bones and also in the stone, um, which is why, you know, we turn to ponamu um, or our maungat. So I often explain to people about how, um, yeah, we walk with all this information with us in our body and in our field, um, our ancestry, our family patterns, and and so the body basically uh, is constantly talking to us and wanting to wanting to be our deepest ally. So it'll, any pain or discomfort has behind it this deeper need or this this yearning, and so that it's really about listening to that and and moving moving that, mm-hmm. and that um, it does clear back as well as clear forward. So. You know, I really love when like mums and daughters or whānau come in and, but regardless, we're often, you know, such victim to our family circumstances. And so just that healing um, in Te Ao Māori is always about the sovereignty of what I can, what my choice is to do right now. And also that it has this effect 
both back and forward. Mm. And so we don't need to, you know, coming out of uh, doing a lot of family therapy um, where everyone in the family system is trying to change one another. And again, with, uh, with healing that as soon as one person makes the shift, the whole system changes. Mm. Yeah, so much. And, and you wrote an interesting thing, which I thought I had made up, <laughs> which I've never heard anyone on your form. You wrote um, gateways in the body or portals in the body. <laughs> and I had never heard anyone else describe it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So would you like to talk about your um, understanding of that? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, my, my teacher, Atarangi Muru, would talk about it as the haimata, the haipuru, um, and the different gateways. And what I experienced is different points lighting up in the body in that ihumata, in that scanning. And, and I think it's similar to in many uh, scientific or Western modalities, you know, with kinesiology or anything, that there's actually ages emotions um stored in, in points in points mm-hmm. in the body and um and so to, to listen to that and to see where that is and um and that there's actually a system or an order mm-hmm. in which that will move or that wants to move and and same with all things that we if we come in with our agenda uh we get blocked so to really to listen to those those entry points or those gateways in mm-hmm. the body mm-hmm. and uh, and they show us you know the, the way to clear yeah because because i think um when i think of it as a gateway it's also like the different dimensions it takes us to so mm-hmm. you can well, when i'm watching it's like could be pushing on a the physical body but i'm not even on the physical body like i'm off somewhere else but that's the doorway that i need to travel through somehow yes. yeah yep. so it's this beautiful um yeah map map that's, um, yeah, but I, pro- yeah. I probably got it from Atarangi, but it's in, I, you know, it, like in, um, integrated within me, and then I didn't yeah, realize exactly. she taught me. <laughs> of it, yeah. Um, I also find that it's connected to the stories, so images or family members, and family members back, you know, that they may not have have physically met will will arise at certain points, mm. and so often there is a there's a storyline. Um, that is sitting in that place and and also has a wisdom to offer forth or um, a calling mm. to offer forth at mm. the same time. And on that as well, because you mentioned about um, ancestral blessing or messing, and I think that was one of the things that I learned on my journey is that it's quite different from how I was brought up, like always respect your tupuna. But when you start to think about it, it there's this... Um, conflicting desires within your lines sometimes at, at least in my experience um, so yeah what did you mean by that and um, I know that was funny because that just came out when I wrote it and I uh, thought oh, interesting. the poetry <laughs> I think it's partly that we are so blessed when we know our whakapapa and I hear so many people yearning for their whakapapa and um, you know I had I had seen and felt my whakapapa years before my nana gave me our a thousand year whakapapa. And um, all it was was confirmation that what I had seen and felt was correct. But I often wonder, you know, do we, for those of us that don't necessarily have that anymore, can we trust it? But there is this real yearning to, um, to know, to know our stories, to know our, um, 
our ways and like even in the pudako the the wisdoms or the learnings and the and the ways of seeing and so there's this ancestral blessing when we connect or when we listen and i really feel this that all healing is really listening and same with stepping out into nature or embracing the silence and listening or listening to the body that that's when we allow that ancestral blessing to come Mm -hmm. through and so it's always with us but then the ancestral messing is almost um there's a lot of mummy or pain in our in our lines and we often my experience is that we often romanticize you know put on pedestals um many things our partners um teachers and our tupuna and that in those pudaka or those stories it actually is the humanity in the stories that has has the greatest humility and gifts for us it's not you know it's not the story that is just um just the strength and so the messing ancestral messing for me is like that actually we have to also own that we are the we are the body that is alive right now. And so we have this responsibility, but it's also our choice. Yeah, we are that beating pulse that's here on this earth. And so while that can inform us, we, we also need to, to act and to move. And yeah, so the, the thoughts are just coming like that. Kawe and moki moki ka tamoko kutupuna, like... We'll never be lonely for we are the imprint of our ancestors. But sometimes, as you say, that imprint can have, um, yeah, mamai or just confusion. I, I felt like a lot in the beginning of this, like the Hui period, that I was feeling all the pain of like the tohunga in my line, just that pain of colonization and I suppose um, sickness sweeping through that iwi that was just like I was living that as a real thing for a few weeks and I had never had that level of understanding of their journey and what they had gone through. So it was this really interesting clearing and I feel like it's really beautiful what you say because those podako change form and shape as we engage with them more and more and allowing them to have a different layers. It's similar to the healing journey. It's like as we expand our vision, the stories change shape. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think is really important to touch on because I feel um, I was really blessed um, that my nan viewed Whakapapa as so important. My dad's like this huge Whakapapa man. Like he can, I'm going to have to remember more (laughs) before he passes because I just rely on him a lot. But um, nan always said like, that's what what has caused people to be untethered. But I've had really similar experiences to you where it's not until I receive the tohu about a tūpuna that I then learn their story from someone else. So I spent all this time craving that and it's not until I tap into my own knowing about that that it actually comes through in the physical. And yeah, so I think that's really important for other people to know um, that that's a lot how... Well, at least I've learned more about my fuckbuffer. Do you have anything to say to that? Yeah, and that we actually own, we, um, it reminds me of, you know, um, in the creation chant of that we're only given in our hands what we can carry at that time. 
And so that knowledge comes in and then it leaves and we can't hold, you know, and hang on to it all. Um, but so like those tohu come and it opens to something and suddenly that story lights up some pathway in you and it connects all these dots. But you, you've probably, if that had passed your way before, it might not have lit up those pathways at that time. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, it's that living constellation that we are in the, in the way that knowledge or understanding comes to us. And I really feel that like we give ourselves such a hard time sometimes in how we even promote these schools of learning and mm-hmm. um, you know, these intensive studies, but then the, the actual study happens when we step back out with it and it gets integrated in all these ways and it really comes alive and that takes time. Mm. And, and I think that's also the humility for healers of mm. um, always acknowledging what we don't know and to stay open and, and most of the spiritual bites or um, kickbacks happen when we, uh, when we make the mistake of of thinking we we know and mm. Mm. no longer actually listening or paying attention. So yeah. it's how can we flip that knowing around and, and just acknowledge that we get what we need in any moment and mm. we don't care. we don't need to know it all or understand it all and and that's such a part of being in the unknown where the most incredible things happen mm. and we so much want to have this like this plan and this system. So on the other side from that, how did you step into like owning your role as a healer within Mm. the unknown? You know, I think it came from um, an sort of initiation into that from my community where I just kept doing what I felt to do or what I was guided to do. Mm. And, um, so it's like to continue to respond to the need and, um, and what's happening. And, uh, yeah, healer is such an interesting term, but I think it, 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 it's something that is just that comes from having sat with people through things and knowing that in those situations I move in to sit there. And um, I notice that even here in my, in my environment with what happens you know, as uh, the tangata whenua here are protecting um, their manga or there's, like, things happening, we just tend to want to, to move in and respond. And um, so I think it's just the natural pathway for, for people and that it's not about having an identity of the role. It's just that it's what you your whole system knows to do and is actually um, able to you know, mm-hmm. sit there, mm-hmm. sit in those spaces. and Yeah, for me, I had to separate the identity of healer as something I step into because I found when I was owning it too much that I would then not feel, you know, go back to that thing about thinking I needed to know everything or when the, those emotions were coming up, I'd be like, why, why, <laughs> you know, why is this happening? And it was that ability to, um, yeah, put it outside of me as a, as a energy that I step into. And then the rest of the time I'm out of that energy. Um, however, that, that arises. Um, I'm really interested to hear uh, about rites of passage, passage as I um, spent six years writing my thesis on it. <laughs> I actually said to my, to my supervisor the other day, I was like, you won't believe it. It's going to come in handy. <laughs> um, but yeah, how do you understand? 
and to stand rites of passage. Yeah, so it's really that transition that we go through when we move from one stage of life to the, to another or when our identity changes or our behaviour changes. Um, and it's interesting because the rites of passage as we, as we speak about it is like such a... It's actually, it was actually um, spoken in 1904, I believe, if I have the date right, um, but it's such an old term and, it you know, it... It, that's that's just the contemporary term, but it was something that has never been separate from from human growth and and I think we just we when something changes and we see this in healing work, you know that when something changes, it's like there's a part of us that needs to know that something happened, something took place, and so rites of passage is often an intentional an intentional way to mark mark that for ourselves. And whether we do that with ceremony or whether we do that with a silent action um, and, and it has witnessing and whether that witnessing is uh, the supports that you call in in terms of your spiritual family or the landscape or your community. Um, but there is a, a confirmation and with that also comes like a new responsibility or a new way. Mm. It can also happen, you know, with... Um, losing a family member or, um, you know, losing a job and, and things falling away and, and these sort of catastrophes where we're not who we were before. And so it is another way to look at trauma as well that, um, you know, we cannot backtrack and, and that's such a part of the rite of passage that we, there's a moment right before the threshold where we like, we know what's going to happen and we just want to go back and then there's this sort of realization that like I can't go back even if I if I wanted to and we and we step in into into the experience and um, yeah and we're not the same afterwards and so that needs that that needs an articulation or an understanding um, we need to make sense of it you know mm-hmm. otherwise we feel kind of stuck in the mm-hmm. in the in between mm-hmm. yeah one foot in each world um, yeah. and. And then what led you to um, place sort of the hero's journey into a heroine's journey? And can you describe that journey for yourself in terms of creating that? Mm. Yeah, there is a couple of female authors who have written up the heroine's journey. Um, interestingly, Joseph Campbell, who wrote up the hero's journey, he it was actually bought by Hollywood and a whole... <laughs> because... Part of it, even though it came from this sort of timeless cycle through cultures and different landscapes, it's it's what we all move through. And when he was asked why is there no heroine's journey, he actually stated that the wahine didn't need to go out and seek in the same way that the man did. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it, part of the, there was a lot of pushback for that, but part of it is that, you know, as women we go through cycles every month we go through death and rebirth and um and actually the the deep feminine and i'm not putting this on gender or sex but the feminine goes inward to find out and the masculine does you know um need to seek and find and bring something back and so um so there yeah there's interesting discussions about what does the heroine's journey look like and the way that i work with it has a lot to do with uh, how we reject our feminine in this current world and um, 
and we over-identify with the masculine of having to, to prove ourselves. Um, one of the statements for, for the young girl is that she either wants to be liked by the man or like a man. And just, you know, how we, how we kind of sacrifice that to fit in or, and, and how we reject like our mother and, um, and the pathway to, to re to, to touching back on that yearning that we have for the feminine and what that means to each of us um, and integrating our masculine and our feminine um, and what that opens up. Mm. And so I find it's actually um, really big, I think, for women with fertility issues mm. as often we've, you know, rejected the feminine or we have a, some fears in our female line mm. and, and it interferes with um, conception. Mm. So, mm. but yeah a lot of, a lot of levels of, mm. of the, the female story this current reality this current world and how have you found your personal journey with that stepping it's, into that integration it, space i um facilitate the heroine's journey with my mother mm. and so we do it as a an eight or eleven day um in, you know quest with women and um We've done it on a very remote island in China with women from all over and we've, and here in Hawaii. And, um, yeah, just I think the first year no one knew we were a mother-daughter team, but we were definitely working the material. Mm. And, and I'm just grateful to her for that because mm. I felt like that's what we do as healers. You know, we are never... Um, if we speak outside of something, it doesn't reach anywhere. And so... Mm. Uh, and deeply connect to to the uh, the cycle of that, and mm. I think that that's probably why I love uh, talking about it and facilitating. <laughs> How powerful to do that with your mum? Yeah. What is your view on potential like re-traumatization from this time that people might be experiencing? Um. So I noticed you said re-traumatization. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually feel like everyone is being given their perfect storm right now. Mm. And I keep sitting with the question that there's nothing wrong. Mm. And um, I know that, you know, on other levels, uh, that would not, yeah, that would be argued. But... Um, if I can really accept what's happening, then I, I'm then shown a way to be with it. And um, yeah. And so the re-trauma, the traumatization right now, I think for a lot of people is that we are being stripped away of who, of many parts of our identity in terms of the world that we have, we have worked so hard at, you know, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the life that we've created and earned and these long 10-year plans that we set up. And, um, and so there's an unfairness in the field or a, a fear of um, wanting to return to life as normal. I come back to Joanna Macy speaking about, you know, that we're in the great turning and to hang on to life as normal would be to deny reality and um, when we deny or reject our experience, we always cause more pain. You know, we have to begin by embracing our current experience, even if we don't like it. Mm -hmm. But only through that do we get shown 
um, how to be in it and also what we're here for in it. And, and then we can start to feel really connected and, um, and capable again. I think it's really confusing for people to not feel like they can act or uh, respond. Yeah, I think, I think I've been thinking of it as um, re-traumatisation because it's, it's, well, for me, at least in my experience, it wasn't things that were new that were arising. It was like really stuff, I'm, I'm used to those textures, but I would normally have other coping mechanisms to deal with them that were, say, the gym. <laughs> taken away you know and so it didn't feel like a new trauma to to me at least in my experience so yeah I don't know do, do you feel like other people are feeling a new trauma in this I think that actually all humans have trauma and we are it is hard to avoid ourselves right now and also same with our families or those that we are in um, our small spaces with so it it's like a it's a it's a, a revealing time mm. and um, if we're hard on ourselves with that uh, it, it really calls for us to have some have some um, grace with mm. ourselves and uh, yeah but it, it is definitely taking it taking us inward to things that maybe we have been asked for our attention for a long time yeah, totally. And then the biggest thing with trauma is obviously like how do I stay present and grounded and and in my body and and it you know what I'm hearing from a lot of people is that they have nowhere to go to. And so they're having to like emotionally regulate in these small spaces. So it's it is a it is like a really um pressurized test right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's a beautiful gift as well for for us to learn how to yeah, reg- regulate on that level. Yeah, we're going to emerge a much stronger and families will emerge much stronger. And I'm aware that there are families out there that are uh, that, that it's a lot harder for. Mm. Um, mm. Totally, yeah, different worlds happening. And I, Yeah, I think the last part of that too is that we have put so much of our... Con- we've given so much of our... Um, power away to things outside of ourselves Mm. you know how do we like take care of our own worlds again and not wait external to change in order for us to be okay Mm -hmm. and that's part of like wanting life to return to normal it's that Mm. we're waiting for for this external thing so we can feel okay and that feels like a great loss of control but what what we have to do is actually look at um, our sovereignty and what we can enact and and be with and and I think that's been something we've been needing for a long time mm-hmm. well it's interesting because here we're actually lessening the restrictions so we're beginning people are beginning to reach out more and it's expanding and it's interesting to observe those oh, don't want to I don't want to go out you know I don't want to return to normal I've been really loving this nourishing time um, so yeah it's an interesting interesting process and it's a um, ecosystem and action within our own bodies that's there for each person and I think everyone's been given what they need to face in what in whatever way um, without diminishing again the real real situations that many people find themselves in is there anything on your heart to share about your own journey or your work that you would want to share with our community it's so sweet to sit here with you 
<laughs> you too. <laughs> um, it's, I think it's very hard for us to set up space to actually listen to ourselves. I think for me, my deepest practice is to find, and silence doesn't always look like silence, but it's where everything external uh, quiet quietens. And I sometimes think about it as like, you know, if you've ever been diving where right when you're on the surface of the water, it's really choppy and then you drop down a, a meter and it's calm and the further down you go, it, the quieter it is, but also the quicker you move in that tide. And, and so how do I get into that place for myself? And um, so I think for me that's been probably the most consistent <laughs> practice for me of the ways that I can drop into that listening. And um, I see that a lot in the rites of passage work with youth, you know, that they're, they're being asked of all these things and they're just a great metaphor to look at because we all have that teenager in us that's, um, looks for this outside validation and, um, wants that confirmation and, um, is wrestling with decisions. You know, I, I used to find decisions would just like freak me out. I could not handle decisions until I started to actually find a way to to get in that quiet place where I could genuinely ask and also be willing to hear the answer and and just learning like what the difference in in that voice that comes you know how do I even know that that's that that true voice and where do I feel that in my body and um, so do you have any views on um like how people can come to know that texture and that difference between the voices? I think mostly we, we don't pay attention to it because we stay in the head trying to work out the pros and the cons and, and the effects on other people, um, the projected consequences. And, um, and so to actually start to feel, one, they're at the pitch of that voice or what that voice sounds like, and uh, it never says anything. It can be very direct and cutting. You know, it uses, for me, that voice doesn't use extra words. Um, but it's always kind. And actually, in checking in with people, everyone, many people have a different place in their body, but there's a place in your body that you feel it. Yeah. Whereas doubt or like the opposition or whatever you want to call it um, that wants to sort of challenge and test us, it has a different, uh, a different feeling depending on what our strong sense is, whether it's hearing or a felt sense or, um, mm. yeah. So I think that's a great question for people to start to tune into uh, what that feels and sounds like. Mm, mm, yeah. And, and for me at least it's really subtle as well. Like even though it can be direct, it's subtle, um, it's not noisy. Um, so that's why it needs the silence to really hear, like, whereas that, that agitation feeling is actually that cognitive dissonance or bodily dissonance that's happening where something's not right. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> try, trying to feel through that um, feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful way to describe it. And it can just be nauseating and mm. so, so um, 
anxious to sit in that place, especially when we feel an urgency. And I think part of it is that we feel like that fear of fucking it up, you know, it's like actually um, a fear of abandoning ourselves mm. of like, if we make the wrong decision, you know, more often than not, when we choose because of we choose based on an external piece or a relationship, something that we want to hold on to, um, we abandon ourselves and that's like the deepest pain of all. It's the deepest loss. And, and so, um, you know, we can feel it in our body, the weight of that decision, even though we can't understand it with our mind. Mm-hmm. And because, because we're not used to choosing what's true, regardless of what, it, what consequence it will have, you know, we want to we hang on to our attachments. Um, it's, it's a hard it's a hard weight to be in. And mm. It reminds me of like um, kiamo kiatukuna, like what I, what I hold on to and what I give and that our whole, our whole body has this metabolism of constantly, you know, receiving the nourishment and, and releasing the things that don't serve us. But mm. we confuse that, like in our mind, we confuse it and we confuse it in our energy and our emotions. And we, um, so we often, uh, hold on to and carry a lot of things that are are old or even dead you know um or painful and then we also give and we even carry you know people along with us and and um things that have hurt us and then we also give ourselves away or um or even push away and reject the things that we don't like Mm. And so this, this, this piece of, you know, I just think about that, um, that, that fakatoki of, of what do I really want to hold in my hands and what is really time to release and how do I um, move through the confusion of that mm-hmm. and actually pick what is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honor, try- yeah, and, and honour the the piece it played in, in that in that journey of your life as well and trust that you know even if i'm carrying i'm trying to carry another person and myself i'm not serving either of us like how can i actually fuck a mana uh, uplift everyone out the other person that they have their own you know that out of the deepest respect for them they can handle whatever is also true for me and um yeah mm-hmm. Hmm. but so I think I think that's such a uh, I'm very fascinated by how we how we do that and uh, Hmm. Hmm. how we create our own storm (laughs) and then so I'm curious about um, we had the opportunity in January to watch you mahi and do a session how do you feel when you're in that flow of doing a a Maori healing session or a rumirumi session you know, it's funny because through this quarantine, I haven't been um, doing that mahi until the other day and I had missed that state, mm. you know, where um, it takes over and I am, there's a part of me that is not, not there, um, even though it's, it's a polarity because you're so present. And, uh, yeah, but just to be in the knowing and the listening and, and just the landscape of the body and... Um, how it shows you what's next and also just the 
I often feel so blessed at um, meeting the tupuna or the kaitiaki that come um, with someone and just being witness uh, to someone entering their healing in that way. And um, even when someone can, you know, articulate what is most needed for them, you can just feel how that has already shifted something. So, yeah, the attunement of that is um, hard to describe, but... Mm, no, it's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful thing to end. Um, yeah, is there anything else you would want to share with us about your work or offerings at the moment? Um, I'm actually loving working online. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think it just shows how it just crosses out any limitations, you know. Um, so I'm really loving the intuitive reading and counselling online. Mm. And, um, and we have a, a nine-month rite of passage training coming up for people that want us to be facilitating ceremony and rites of passage. And um, I think there's something really fascinating about sitting with people all over the world in this intentional way and asking these deeper questions. And we're all in an existential uh, turning right now. Mm-hmm. And, and some people have more time to sit in those questions and other people have no time. But the, t- the moments that we have mean a lot. So uh, there's a gratitude to right now that mm-hmm. really special. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you very much. We're coming towards the end. <laughs> Super grateful for you and um, all that you share and exude. And it's felt on every level. And I hope I do you justice when I cut this together <laughs> because it is amazing everything that you um, vibrate out. So thank you. Mm. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Mm. yeah so thank you i'm gonna close for us Mm. so mm. as i just take a deep breath and breathe in all the wisdom that was shared with us today i invite everyone to do so allowing this process of integration for everything that we have being able to gather and I come to understand about ourselves and others during the Sarahui time. Putahi unga manua. Inukwana mainga atua. Meridiana rawa kinga. Peritonga, Hawaii. Ke tohoho tato ara no tato wairoa menga menga iwi menga fanu menga hapu. Hmm. 
And as I take a deep breath <laughs> and giving myself permission, um, yeah, to speak to the Māori more often in this moment <laughs> and in all the ways that it comes through. Um, mm, yeah, bowing so deeply to you. <laughs> Thank you. Hemihi tēnei ki nā ahi kāroa ko Papakanoia Māori ko Aotearoa ko Hawaii Tāna ki ki o koutou maunga o koutou waiora o koutou ukaipo Kia ora e kare I'm going to turn this off now. Um, oh, no, I don't want to do that. That one I want to do.